welcome to episode 68 of our Cricket Hurt vodcast. Apologies once again for bringing this to you late. I was up at about 5am yesterday doing a, a keynote session at a conference um, that's based in India. Um, we then didn't get back from the ODI last night until well after the football had finished, about half past 10 in the evening because it was a very tight match. So, um, you know, apologies for that, but I slept in. What can I say, Sid? Guilty. Uh, anyway, thanks for tuning in as ever. Um, we're going to be reflecting on the um, the ODI series first of all, um, which obviously, as I said, finished yesterday at Worcester. Now, Sid, um, you've got the Cricket Her bragging rights this time around because um, when the ODI series started, you said that you thought that it would be 2-1 to England. So congratulations to you. Well done on that. Um, now, it was um, not quite as close perhaps overall as we as we thought it was going to be though. Yeah, um, it got progressively closer, I think, and India got progressively better, which is a good thing. Um, so the first match, and after the first match, I was looking at my predictions going, not, <laughs> I think I might have made a bit of, bit of a mess of that. Um, and if you'd asked me after the first match when India didn't look great and England won quite easily, I'd have gone, oh, this is, this is definitely leaning now towards an easy 3-0 for England. But full credit to India, they were definitely better in the second match. In particular, they roared in with the ball in the second match, bowled really well. I thought that Goswami was actually the pick of the bowlers across both teams in the second match. Obviously, Kate Cross got her five for, and you know that's what you get the player of the match for. But, but, but Goswami was really good and really fiery and you know dangerous and... Um, you know, just everything that's that's made her a legend, really. Um, and kind of they took that uh, into this match. And, you know, the the final match was... It, it, it was quite a close match, wasn't it, Raf? Um, and the the Indians needed, needed a bit of something to get them over the line in those last ten overs. And that came in the shape of Snowrana, who came in. And at the point that she came in... India were kind of, the, the game was kind of a little bit drifting away from India. Matali's strike rate wasn't really quite enough that it was going to win them the game. Snairana came in and she was like, look, this is how to play. This is how to hit runs. And yeah, she took risks, definitely. Um, you know, she was nearly out a couple of times before she was out on, you know, 20-something off 20-something balls. But she did enough to, to persuade Matali, look, it is possible to bat on this pitch. It is possible to score runs at a strike rate of 100. Uh, Matali picked up that, and by the time that Snowrunner was out, you know they only needed then uh, six off six balls, mm -hmm. and you know they did that and won the game. So uh, you know a positive performance from India, and uh, I think that, that that takes us really nicely now into the T20s because of course bearing in mind this is a multi-format series, still very much alive, uh, and the T20s which are beginning on Friday. So we'll be looking forward to that one. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I thought that um, actually it, it feels like the series has been played in quite good spirit, the, the ODI leg certainly. I know that there was some frustration um, amongst the England team and, and amongst us after the test. Um, but um, what I noticed yesterday after the game um, was that obviously Eccleston ended up getting Snerana out in that penultimate over. Um, but after the game, um, they were walking around the edge of the outfield just having a nice chat to each other. Um, and she was just saying, I, I think I, I overheard a little bit, um, and Eccleston was saying, oh, I was really nervous, and then I took your wicket. And I don't know, they were just having a chat, and I just thought that was really nice. Now, the player of the series for the ODI series um, was 
kind of an interesting one. It was uh, voted for by the written press, though there isn't a formal ballot about these things, but somebody gets nominated to kind of wander around and ask everyone what they think and tot up who thinks who, and then a decision is reached. Um, we were asked to reach that decision about sort of 40, 45 minutes before play ended, when it looked like India probably weren't going to make it over the line, um, and that maybe influenced decisions a little bit. Raf, do you think it was the right decision? Well, first of all, who, who was that? It was Sophie Eccleston. Okay. Was that the right decision? Could it have been somebody else? Well, of course, she did bowl well. She always does. She's Sophie Eccleston. I mean, come on best bowler in the world. Um, she, I think she finished as the leading wicket-taker from both sides, um, so you know, good for her. Um, I think that obviously now looking at the way that Mitali Raj played for that last half an hour, 45 minutes, um, to finish unbeaten, um, not out, um, and to obviously, um, you know, in a way, play it perfectly in that um, she got India over the line and they won that game, a very close game. Um, and it does feel a little bit like some of us journalists, in which I completely include myself, got it wrong. We were, in the first half of the first ODI, we were very much calling for her head a little bit um, and saying she's batting much too slowly. Um, ODI cricket has you know, passed her by, she can't keep up at this level anymore. Um, and I think she's had the last laugh, really. We've ended up with, with egg on our face because she really played so brilliantly yesterday, um, and particularly, um, you know, in, as I say, in that last half an hour. And you, you just think, is there anyone else in that India side at the moment who would have been able to play that innings? Yes, of course, as you've acknowledged, Snerana played a really important role at the other end um, in, you know, coming out and, and hitting at a runner ball, um, and, and that was what was needed at that stage. Um, but Matali Raj, yeah, she was, um, she was the person who who won them that game, and and she did finish um, as the leading run scorer in the series. Um, it was interesting that at the point at which we were being asked, I suggested her name, and um, a few a few other people were kind of saying, "Oh, but we can't give it to her. She's going to end up as the losing captain. They're going to have lost all three games, um, and it's a bit irrelevant that she's made runs because she hasn't made them quickly enough." But it was almost as if she was listening and she overheard, and she was like, "No." <laughs> I'm going to prove you all wrong, and she did very much. So, um, yeah, I think that actually, in retrospect, it probably, to an outsider, looks a little bit odd that she didn't get the player of the series, but she won't be remotely bothered by that. Um, from an English perspective, actually, at the point at which we were being asked, um, and, and I still think this really to some extent, that um, my player of the series would probably have been Kate Cross if we were having to choose an England player. Um, I think that what she did so well in this series was actually, um, you know, there really was, it felt like after the test in which she didn't make a, um, very much of an impact, um, there was a bit of a question mark hanging over her place in this England side and her kind of England future, perhaps, if that's not too dramatic to say. Um, but, you know, she really does seem to have the confidence of Heather Knight and Lisa Kitely at the moment, and she repaid that confidence. She did look England's most dangerous most dangerous pace bowler, I should say. Um, she, out of um, her and Catherine Brunt and Anja Shrubsole, she consistently looked like the person who was most likely to take a wicket. Um, and and um, obviously in that, that second game did take that fiver. Um, and what she did yesterday at Worcester actually was show what she can do with the bat. Um, coming in and, you know, if, if England hadn't made those 20 
20 quick runs that she helped score at the back end of the innings, um, it wouldn't have been um, a very close match in the end, I don't think. India would have won fairly easily. So good for her. And we know that she can do that because we've often seen her bat quite high up the order for Lancashire and for Thunder at domestic level, batting at you know even four or five. Um, so she's obviously very good with the bat. But what seems to have happened is that um, because she's got the confidence of her captain now as a bowler she's able to express herself more freely with the bat because it's partly a, a mental thing I think um, so that was brilliant um, and it's actually quite a special thing to have come into the series that's only three matches long with question marks hanging over you and to emerge from the series um, having cemented your place and something that Heather Knight said in yesterday's press conference was, um, I thought this was maybe slightly preemptive, but this is clearly how she's thinking. We think we've now got our 11 for the World Cup next year in New Zealand. Um, and obviously the, the suggestion then is that Kate Cross is, is an automatic pick in that starting 11. Um, so good for her. Brilliant. Um, so I think that she was a real candidate for player of the series as well. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting, actually, if you if you reflect on a sort of like a counter narrative if Kate Cross had come into this series and been dross that would have been her international career over she's 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 you know um she's not the wrong side of 30 I believe but <laughs> she's getting quite close to it and if she'd been terrible in this series if she'd been knocked for eight and over and not taken any wickets she wouldn't have been selected again this summer and probably wouldn't have ever been selected again so you know she's come in there and and done the job and she just feel like she's a very confident player, isn't she? Yeah. So, yeah, good for her. Okay, so we have got this T20 series then starting this week. Um, what changes do we expect England to make? Because Heather Knight actually talked about this yesterday to you in the press conference, didn't she, Raph? She did, absolutely. Um, she as good as said that um, they would be bringing in Danny Wyatt um, and Maddie Villiers. Um, she said, you know, they are two players who have had success in T20 cricket in the past. We know that we've had a strong T20 side with them included, so therefore we're, um, we're probably going to be bringing them back. Um, she did say that they were going to sit down yesterday evening after the football had finished um, and, and make the final decisions about that squad um, and that that would be announced in the next few days. But I am very much expecting those two players to be included because she did specifically name check them. And it's okay. going to be a really interesting um, few games, isn't it? Because um, we have got these these three T20s, all worth two points apiece. The series is, as you say, quite finely poised. England are only 6-4 up on points. Um, what, which way do you think it's going to go from here, Sid? Because really it could it could go either way, it feels like. Yeah, I, I can't see England losing all three games. I, I, okay. I just think England are too good to lose all three games. So I don't think India are in a position to win the series outright. Um, but 2-1 to India in the T20 leg, leaving okay. things all square, that wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't be a bad result for cricket either, you know, especially if the presumably the TV audiences in India for the T20s mm. will be hopefully good. Uh, you know, if they can see their team playing well, see, you know, Smriti looks in good touch. Mm -hmm. um, let's 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 hope for some for some good cricket. And uh, prediction though, I rank probably 2-1 to England again. So I think England probably win the series for me. But let's see. Okay. I'd like to see Shafali Berman make a hundred. <laughs> I don't well, know if that counts as a prediction, but it's a hope for the series anyway. We saw Meg Lanning make a hundred at Chelmsford, so Shafali Verma is going to get her chance on that same field. So go Shafali. Okay. If you're English. <laughs> 
Now, there has been some other very big news this week relating yeah. to the 100. Um, the ECB have announced the final squads for the 100, which is starting in just a very few weeks' time. Um, and when that announcement happened, it became apparent um, that as we suspected for a while and I think had speculated about on the vodcast, um, several of the top Australian women are now not coming to the 100. So that includes Alyssa Healy, Meg Lanning, Beth Mooney and Megan Shute. Um, and um, the suggestion is that the ECB have known about this for a while, um, but um, were kind of unwilling to confirm until they had the replacements in place and could kind of make an all singing, all dancing announcement focusing on the positive aspects um, rather than this um, actually what's quite a difficult aspect for the competition. Yeah, they did try to somewhat try to smuggle it out, <laughs> didn't they? And hope nobody noticed. Well, look, here's all the teams. <laughs> Just don't look at who's not on the list. Um, and um, relatedly, um, there was a brilliant piece of journalism from Izzy Westbury in the Telegraph. Yeah, scoop um, of the century. Yeah, yesterday or, or the day before, um, but we, we saw it yesterday morning. Um, essentially, um, you know, relating to those Australians not coming, what was that all about, Sid? Yeah, so, um, you know, these these Australian players who were all have been in, the, in towards the top salary bands, they'd all been earning like 12000 15000 I think uh, a couple of them would have been the captains, so they would have got the, the top, top salary. Um, but the ECB tried to bung them an extra 10 grand yeah. on top each. each, and they still didn't come. They still <laughs> said no. So, well, that has implications all over the place, doesn't it, Raf? Um, and some of them relate to some of the stuff you were talking about at this conference where you spoke yesterday morning at 5 a.m. <laughs> yes, it was the Equal Hue conference um, run by the Sports Law and Policy um, Organisation in India. Um, it was a really interesting conference and we did touch on um, these these issues about equal pay. I think, first of all, it's important to say absolutely no shade, no disrespect for the, to the, these Australian players for not coming. I don't blame them at all. Um, there is obviously still, oh, there are obviously still worries about the way in which the pandemic is being handled in the UK and concerns about getting stuck here or, um, you know, having finding it difficult to make their way back to Australia safely and, and quickly. Um, so I do completely understand where they've come from with that. Um, but I do think that the fact that the ECB have um, offered them quite a lot of extra money to come is significant. Um, it's significant because traditionally the argument against um, equal pay in, in sport has always been, oh, well, if you don't pay the men um, you know the big bucks, then they won't bother to come um, to these to these competitions, or you know they they just won't have the incentive to play, um, and therefore you know the women just kind of have to take the leftovers and what's left. Actually, what we're seeing here is in quite an exciting way. It's the market in action. It is players like Meg Lanning and Alyssa Healy for the first time being able to demand um, a higher level of money um, and actually reject that and say no, even that is not enough um, for me to come. Um, and I think that has real implications um, because it shows that actually those arguments about equal pay uh, or, uh, or to justify unequal pay aren't valid anymore um, you know they don't apply in this situation um, and really the ECB if they want those players to come to the second iteration of the hundred next year then they are going to have to sit down and seriously think about well what do we do with with the budget how do we um, increase the remuneration on offer for the women um, because we know from your from your handy pie chart um, that you tweeted from Cricket Her a while back, we know that the remuneration that's on offer is is vastly um, 
disproportionately being given to the men at the moment. Um, but actually, if you want an exciting women's competition with the best players in the world, then you need to you need to reassess that. You need to think about that, don't you, Sid? Yeah, absolutely. And it's difficult. We've we've banged on about this one before too. But at the end of the day, with with the amount of money available to that hundred, there's a, there's a certain pie, and it's not going to get any bigger. Most of the money comes from TV rights. The TV rights deals have already been signed. You can't go back to Sky now and go. Actually, we want an extra three hundred grand here because. Meg Lanning and co. won't come unless we pay them more money. The only place more money is going to come from is by finding budgets within the men's competition, which ultimately means cutting the salary of the men. And, you know, that's where things get really challenging for the ECB. And honestly, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes having to deal with that, frankly. Yeah, and I think one other reason why it was such a good scoop and such an important story is actually that um, you know the ECB's response would be has always been oh well we can't pay um, we can't pay the women anymore because um, we've got a limited budget but it seems like they can find an extra forty or fifty grand kind of lying lying around from somewhere um, in, if they want to try and attract Meg Lanning and Alyssa Healy to pay, to play in the competition and if you're um, maybe if you're Heather Knight or um, you know Anna Shrubsoul or even if if you're a domestic player um, who's playing in the in the competition, um, you know the likes of your I don't know uh, Sophie Luff or um, people like that um, who have who've been told, well, you're you're going to be playing, but um, you're going to earn really kind of not very much at all. You're going to be on the very lowest salary band. Um, to hear that the ECB have suddenly found fifty grand lying around to pay some Australians must be quite galling, actually. I think um, and potentially. Um, you know, a little bit divisive, um, maybe a little bit upsetting. Um, Hypercourse made a really interesting suggestion after I sent an angry tweet about this yesterday saying, why don't we, um, or why don't the ECB now offer that money to the people on the lowest salary band, to the players on the lowest salary band, and, and distribute it round between them? Not going to happen, but it's a great idea. <laughs> and it really does show up that when they need to find money for something, they seem to be able to, to pull it together from somewhere. Um, yeah. It was down the back of the sofa. Right? It was down there all along. <laughs> anyway, well done to Izzy for um, for for a great scoop, as we said. Um, and it's going to be interesting to to see what happens um, next year, I suppose. Anyway, thanks for tuning in as ever, um, and uh, we'll see you in a week's time when the T20 leg of the series will have got underway. Bye for now. Bye.